Hello, friends and followers of the podcast. And if you're a first-time listener, then welcome. This is episode 47 of the Physio Foundations podcast. And before we get into this week's conversation, I wanted to pause and say thank you to all of you and all the amazing guests I've had so far. And thanks to you for listening and being part of these discussions. I really love it when I hear from you. So please keep sending in your suggestions for topics and your guests for future episodes. And if you want to support the podcast, the best way you can do this is to share it with a friend or on social media. So keep doing that. So this week on the podcast, I had a conversation with someone who is very well known in musculoskeletal clinical practice uh, and online and all around the world, and that's Dr. Greg Lehman. So Greg's passionate about helping practitioners develop their thinking and their clinical reasoning. And I wanted to speak to him to explore his mindset and his approach to asking questions and challenging assumptions and biases, and in particular, challenging your own beliefs and how you can do that, because that's sometimes a difficult thing to do. And we had a really interesting conversation. Well, a word of warning, there are some naughty words in this episode, which haven't appeared yet on the podcast, which is fine, because I can now proudly wear the E for explicit badge on the podcast. and. Maybe people will say, ooh, I wonder what this is. And there aren't many swear words, so don't worry. But parents, word of warning, just make sure you cover your kitty's ears just in case. Uh, we had a lot of fun recording the episode, and Greg is a really engaging presenter and educator. And I think you'll really enjoy the conversation. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Greg Lehman. Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast for another week, where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So this week, I'm talking to Dr. Greg Lehman. So Greg's a physiotherapist, a chiropractor, a strength and conditioning specialist, as well as an internationally recognized educator. And if you're on social media and you're following musculoskeletal topics, you'll know Greg really well through the many debates and questions that he posts regularly on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube and elsewhere. You, you may also know Greg from some of his courses that he teaches. So he's got his Reconciling Biomechanics and Pain Science course that he teaches around the world. And um, he's currently working on the Running Resiliency course, which will be a really good one as well. Or you may have read Greg's blog, which has been circulating for many years and dives into many fascinating musculoskeletal topics and ideas. Or if you're a student or a newly graduated practitioner, you might be meeting Greg for the first time. But either way, you're going to get a lot out of this discussion. Greg Lehman, welcome to Physio Foundations. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. So I'm in Melbourne, Australia, and you're in Toronto, Canada, and we figured out the time difference. And thanks for coming on. It's great. Yeah, it's perfect. I'll trade you. I'd much rather be in Melbourne. It's my favorite place in the world. <laughs> so you, you've been here before for your courses and we're, we're having a nice yeah. day. 24 degrees Celsius. I looked at Google and you're six degrees Celsius. Is that right? Yeah. And it's raining. It's cold. I can't go on my trampoline. And Melbourne has the best trampoline parks in the world. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And you're a skateboarder yeah. as well. I've seen on social media. You're, you're I skating. mean, I try. I'm horrible. I guess you got to do something that humbles you. Yeah, but, that's uh, it. I'm a poser. So trampolining, how'd you get into that? Uh, I did it as a kid, kind of. And then like six years ago, my kids started gymnastics cheerleading. All right. So I got back into tumbling and then I just went like full hog onto trampoline and gymnastics. 
Nice. And it's just easier to do more stuff on the tramp than it is on the floor. Yeah, right. Yeah, great. And look, there, there is another um, funny question that I have to ask you. Last time you were in, I think you were in Melbourne for your course, teaching recently, and you put up on Twitter um, that you nearly got run over at a T intersection by a car that was just turning. Do you remember posting that up on yeah. there? And, um, and you, you asked the question, which we had to settle. What's the road oh. rules in Australia? <laughs> it's really dangerous. It is. It, well, I mean, so that was, uh, that was in the Gold Coast, I think, or some, yeah. uh, or something like that. Yeah, 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 I don't know where it was. Uh, no, it was Perth. It was either Perth or Newcastle. I don't, I don't know. Newcastle. Yeah. That's right. where it was. It was Newcastle. Yeah. And uh, it's, it turns out that we, like, I guess that is, it doesn't matter. I was in the right. You're not supposed to kill pedestrians. No. No, I looked up the road rules and posted it there for you, but it's funny how... Um, uh, no one knows it. <laughs> no one knows it, but the the provision of evidence um, didn't seem to change opinions, which is sort of uh, analogous yeah, to some yeah. other conversations we can have on here in a minute. But yeah, it's a yeah. funny conversation we had. So the focus here is all about those foundational knowledge and skills in physiotherapy. So it's really good to get someone like you on who does physio education and, and education for practitioners, uh, but also you know, has a, a, an eye for what's happening in research. And you like to ask questions and you like to challenge biases and assumptions. And so I, I've, I've talked to a number of my own students and I'll just keep going, interviewing new graduates and getting their perspectives and giving them a voice but then it's really good to talk to you as well and you know a different stage of your career about you know what you've learned so a lot of what you do is bringing people back to first principles and so i want to start with the question i often end with which is what do you think the most important foundational knowledge and skills for a practitioner or a physiotherapist so i i go back and forth on this all the time i i don't i think the details often don't matter like how sometimes like that. So I, I think what people want to do, what I like to do is look at people who seem very different and then find the common threads between them. And, and those are our, our foundation. So like for me, and of course it's the basics, like you have to listen, you have to care, you have to understand the person you're working with. It has to be like the, you have to figure out what their motivations are. And try to help solve their problems and that stuff so that like everyone says all those things <laughs> so yeah. i'm just going to quickly touch on them but in the specifics like i th i think the person the therapist needs to needs to find the principles that work for them and then get better at those and then you can start actually kind of ch almost cherry picking and you, then you start seeing the common threads so a foundational thing for me and this is so common but i i, I think that we apply stress to someone and then that causes some adaptation that that's it that's that's foundational for me like i i apply stress and then and then so i take i take something like that and then i say okay when is that wrong or when does how does that need to be massaged and so that could be sometimes the stress like you can apply stress to someone they have too much they can't adapt and then you have to pull back and that could be symptom modification. And then if I simplify it anymore, that's where I, where I say these pithy axioms, like calm shit down, build shit back up. There we go. You know, that, that, the, the, there, there's my fundamental. Right. And then when I talk like that, I just look around and that's all I see people doing. 
even if they do it they do they might be very different from one another fundamentally that's what they're doing that's what they're doing and then they've just found the right way that works for them and that person in front of them so like try to find your own fundamental that sounds weird how fundamental mm. can be different across people but there's there's something in there yeah there's a paradox but there's also something that you can apply universally so yeah like, can, can I give you an, an example that's that's weird in a way? Like, everyone talks about patient-centered care, meaning we want options for people. Uh, your patient, if you're giving exercise, you want them in part of the decision-making to help choose what exercises they do. And, and I like to do that. That's my style, that, that type of discussion with my patient, because I'm okay with being murky and being fluid and adapting. But then I think, I know a lot of good therapists who know a few exercises and they love them. They might love the deadlift. They might love, love the kettlebell. They might be like a McGill person. And boom, I'm like, that person should be telling everyone to do that exercise that they love. And that passion for that exercise is infectious and it'll come across and they'll help a shit ton of people with that approach. And that's not in theory patient-centered because you're telling them, do this because I love it and it's amazing. But you know what I mean? That sort of passion. So there's mm, probably going to yeah. a subset of people that's not going to resonate with, but we shouldn't always, it's like marketing. You shouldn't always try to please everyone because you're not. Right. So you might help in general. There's be a lot of people you're not going to help, but you're going to help a lot of people with that approach. Right. So I don't know how to re like reconcile that with patient-centeredness, but I, I really think that's the truth. Mm. Well, you've got passion there. So you've got something that you that is working for yeah. you. And people can, if you're talking about a musculoskeletal or private setting, for example, they may not be able to just go to someone else in a public setting. It depends where you were working, but let's assume they can always go elsewhere and try other things. But if you're not delivering what you're doing with belief, conviction, yeah. passion, there's a problem in itself. You, 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 you often see clinicians who are are just good at one approach and they get people better. And then there's the next clinician doing something very different and they're also getting people better. And there's a lot of selection bias that goes on there as well, sure. isn't there? Yeah. Mm. So another paradox that you quickly discover when you start your life as a clinician is that it, to some extent we have to keep things simple. And you mentioned keeping things simple before and I want to avoid the trap of overthinking, but at the same time people are complex and they're all different and that you know there's a lot of uncertainty so there's some sort of balancing act between overthinking and underthinking that can go on so bearing that in mind and sort of talking to our new grads and even students who are listening to this what are some ways that you can you know sort of try to balance and what advice could you give the students um, who are trying to develop their knowledge base and learn all this complexity but at the same time keep things simple yeah, so I think a lot of the complexity is when people have debates about mechanisms and we get into really academic discussions right, yeah. uh, that you can go down rabbit holes and you feel like you don't know anything. You can start reading about pain and you're like, is pain a perception or is it a sensation? You know, is it in the tissue? Is it in the brain? Is the brain different from the mind? You know what? Like you get, yeah. you get in all these things. And you're like, these things don't matter. Like what the reason, if you're going to talk to someone no pain, because you're, you're, you want to give them good advice and education and empower them to believe that there's hope or something like that. Yeah. Or same with exercise. You can go down rabbit holes with exercise as well. And so that's what I mean. You got to look at what the exercise is and say like, okay, does all this knowledge and questioning myself, does it really change what I'm going to do? 
Mm. You know, like this is, I was talking about, I was doing a lecture today and we were talking about Dr. Maliaris, Pete Maliaris and how I was like highlighting his, his stuff on tendinopathy. But I had just done a previous lecture on something else. And I said, see, we all do the same thing. This paper is all on tendinopathy, but you would do the exact same thing for kneecap pain. You do it for high hamstring pain. You do it for a labral tear. You do it for neck pain. Like these are fundamentals here. Like, I don't think this might surprise students or young clinicians. I really don't think the diagnosis matters that much for the vast majority of MSK conditions. You, you're especially in a runner, you're going to do really similar things. And like, yeah. I want to know it's not fucking cancer or like some vascular lesion where they need to see a surgeon or something yeah. like that. Um, but for the most part, I like, so you, you can get really caught up in the weeds and you're like, no, it doesn't change things. What are the fundamentals? See, I think that's really interesting for a student or a new grad to hear that because the number one thing is to do no harm and to make sure that we're not missing serious diagnoses and you know making people go backwards, for example. But from your experience, what you're doing, you're reading those papers and you're saying, well, I see parallels there in Pete's paper on tendinopathy and those principles there. I see those principles elsewhere. I see them across yeah. the board. So particularly yeah. in the education and load management and exactly yeah and everything you're doing there yeah uh -huh. so when you so i mean you do um ask lots of good questions online so it's that's sort of what triggered me to send you a dm and invite you on the podcast that you were asking some questions i want to ask you some specific stuff in a minute about some strength testing biomechanics you know, <laughs> challenge my biases that's what we're here for but before we do that let's be a little bit more meta and just talk about asking questions because I always encourage the students ask questions and you never put anyone down for asking a question. And it, do you, what do you think about the, is it important to have a culture in our profession where we can ask each other questions and challenge biases you know, without fear, even with some encouragement to do so? Yeah, I, I, I think that you have to because it just makes you a, a better clinician. The, mm. the problem is it's, it's, it's it's hard though because there is the concern people will feel like you're going down to this road to nihilism, and I'm like, no, yeah. I like I I I believe when I ask questions, like the the point the point to me is to simplify and to create options. So when I'm critical of something, it's not I'm usually not critical of something saying don't do this. I'm almost critical of when people are saying oh don't do these things. I'm saying no 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 you can't say don't do that. Those are options. And what the thing that you want to do is great to do, and we can do that. But the thing you're knocking isn't so bad at the same time. Like Australians, for some reason, hate the clamshell exercise. <laughs> they got onto that, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the they, I, yeah. I was a physio hipster. I hated the clamshell first uh, <laughs> for, for other reasons, but I was wrong. I, 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 so once other people started hating the clamshell, I was like, well, I have to take a contrarian view here. <laughs> And I'm like, maybe the clamshell is not so bad. So I actually challenged my belief about hating the clamshell. And then suddenly I'm like, whatever. It's just, you know, no worse or no better than other exercises. It it has its place. It's like hating a calf raise. That would be silly. You know, a calf yeah. raise probably won't help someone with headaches. Some people are like, don't do clamshells. Clam it won't help with this. And I'm like, or like here's the argument is that the clamshell won't lo load the glute knee tendon. Therefore, you don't do it for glute med tendinopathy. And then in the same paper, people are doing calf raises. And I'm like, 
the calf raise doesn't load the glute meat tendon either, but no one's shitting on calf raises, right? It has, yeah, I... it's, it's part of the protocol. Uh, so what, what I'm saying is what I'm critical, of, I'm very critical about things, but it's critical not to say no all the time. It's sort of saying we can do these other things. Like there's yeah. other reasons to do stuff. Sorry, I got on a tangent there. No, that's good. That's good. Keep going. I mean, so, so simplify and create options. That's it. And then challenging right? your own beliefs. But so you, you said challenging your own beliefs. You're not just yeah, challenging usually. other people's beliefs. Oh, yeah. I don't. Do that. I don't. I don't like to have debates about things I don't care about anymore. I don't care about manual therapy and ultrasound and acupuncture. So I don't really have those debates, but I do care about exercise and load management, symptom modification and gait retraining. So the people who practice like that, I want to be arguing with them, mm. it, it, like steel manning my arguments. You know, that that's what I really like to do. Like, why do I believe what I believe? Does it need to change? Does it need to evolve? But that doesn't make any difference. Yeah. yeah so I'm not going to go after like low hanging fruit or pick on people. That's not you're, you're not trying to change people's minds necessarily. You're trying to understand. I got that sense from from reading a lot of what you it, it, you're uh, trying to educate the masses. You're trying to talk. I don't to know. People. I, I think I think I have that in mind. That I like. I do a little bit of both. I think okay. you know you can bring someone on your own journey and go through stuff for them. You know, I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm dying for people's sins. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> and so what about I'm your own, <laughs> what about your own biases and how do you uh, uh, reconcile your, so I mean, we sort of touched on that with your challenging your own beliefs and biases. Uh, do you, have you had any that you've really done a 180 on and you've sort of, Apart from the clamshell exercise, but uh, we don't have an answer funny. to that. You just asked the question about it, but yeah, yeah, you know, actually, so I have prescribed clamshells in the past few years. I've had, and I would thought I would never do them. I've actually given them to people, uh, so I have done a one eighty on that. Um, and no, no big one eighties because I was really lucky in my early years. I got exposed to a lot of ideas that people didn't know about. And I had a lot of the easy things debunked right away. So I, I never had to make massive changes. Uh -huh. I had pretty good fundamental. I was super lucky just with how I was uh, influenced by people. Um, you, you know what? I've maybe done not a full 180, but what's challenged me lately, like I've always, I, I was a strength coach. So I always believed in heavy loading. That was my thing. Like less right. than 10 reps. Uh, I always worked with a, bas a, a, a varsity basketball team, trying to get them stronger, trying to put on mass. It was a really heavy program. It was almost like the five by fives. I thought heavy load was the way to go. I thought, and then there'd be research coming out in tendons and I purchasing, you need to load it to make the tendon adapt. So I was like, good. I'm right. <laughs> this research yeah. great is great. It agrees with me. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then, but then I don't know, maybe eight years ago, five years ago, I was like, okay, what's, is that right? Like I would have these friends who did lots of manual therapy and they would treat people with Achilles tendinopathy and these people, and I would do manual therapy too, but also heavy loading and, but they didn't and their patients were getting better and their patients loved them. And I'm like, how, like, that those loads will not cause the tendon to adapt. You're just doing manual therapy. That tendon will not get stiffer. You won't change the material properties of that tendon. What's going on there? And then I was like, how the hell is the eccentric uh, loading program working? It's 
six sets of 15. In theory, six sets of 15 would not cause the Achilles tendon to get stiffer and have material property changes. How the hell can those people get better? Like you didn't, you know what I mean? Right, and then I yeah. was like, shit. So we'll, we'll reconnect uh, listeners uh, okay. to where we, the internet cut out to as we're talking about the tendon um, stiffness when you're challenging your own belief about heavy resistance training and, and how could that help if you weren't doing that? Okay. You want me to jump right in and yeah, yeah, that? go for it. Yeah. Let's, let's pick up where we left off. Oh, okay. Yeah. So my, my bias was, you know, I thought that a tendon needed heavy load, right? It needed that to adapt, to get stronger, to change the structure. Actually, I did think I would say 15 years ago that heavy load would, um, would catalyze changes in the actual tendinosis. And for, for a while, for a good three or four years, I thought my thumbs could do that. There's a 180 I had. I, yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah, yeah, I was a manual therapist. And I, I thought like, I believed in mechanotransduction. I believe that load was good on structures. I just thought you could impart it with manual therapy. I, I was trying to re reconcile and reframe manual therapy about a force of loading and getting adaptation. You know, not mm -hmm. by stretching things, but by catalyzing change. And I then I once challenged my thought on that, and I just did a thought experiment. And I was like, do you think if you just, just rubbed your biceps that they would hypertrophy? And I was like, of, of course not. You, you know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that wouldn't happen. And then I was like, well, then how could it do it in a tendon? And I was like, damn it. <laughs> but then, <laughs> then at the same time, like I was saying, I would have friends and colleagues, and when I practice, I would have patients who would get better with manual therapy and not heavy loading. And then so, you know, slowly through the years and even still now, I'm like, do tendons really need heavy loading? Is our changes in material properties or mechanical stiffness, you know, Young's modulus, whatever we're measuring it by, are these things really needed for someone to recover with the tendinopathy, mm -hmm. right? That's sort of the theory that everyone says, you got to make that tendon stronger. And the way to do that is to load it heavy. And then when you look at the research, you're like a lot of low load intervention, stretching, manual therapy, eccentric exercise, when it's three sets of 15, those people recover. So what the hell is going on? I need to like challenge my hypothesis here that mm. this is a really important variable for recovery. It might be for some people, but maybe not the vast majority of people. So what, yeah. what's the answer? <laughs> I don't know. If you're really paying attention, <laughs> though, at least you've got a question, right? At least yeah. you've, you, if you've got a, a dogma and you're stuck in that camp, that's a problem in itself because you're you're not in a position to move and be agile and change your belief based on what you're seeing, new evidence, right? And then it, it probably comes back to what you're talking about earlier about mechanisms and, and being sort of if you're thinking only about mechanisms, it can all get very confusing very quickly. But if you're looking at that individual person and saying, well, you know, let's try to help this person, which is how you started one of the first yeah. points you made, then that's, that does make it easier as well. Yeah. So what about if we dive into biomechanics challenge some of let, let's um, straw man and maybe even steel man, some of the arguments I've made in papers I've published papers on anterior cruciate ligament, um, reconstruction and people's biomechanics following injury. And I've heard you talking about this in, uh, in podcasts and blogs in the past. So I have referred to variation in joint angles as impairments, for example. So someone say, so say that someone isn't bending their knee as much as someone else, 
And that lack of knee flexion in a landing task is associated with their, their knee function, which was something I looked at in my PhD. Let's, um, let's straw man that one and, and perhaps move away from calling their movement an impairment and maybe call it something else. What do you think? Yeah, you know what? So like, I, so what I do <laughs> might surprise you. I like to, I like to start with the idea that kinematics and biomechanics don't matter. That we have this amazing ability to adapt, right? So if you land with a stiff knee, uh, provided that you slowly do that over time, you should be able to adapt to that and and be safe. That it shouldn't be inherently problematic. So that's where I start. And then what I like to do is uh, go and say, well, okay, when can that be wrong? <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> right? And so it's funny you bring that up. That might be one of the areas where that biomechanical variable might actually matter. Because if you always like avoid that knee flexion, you're yeah. fine most of the time. But there could be that one point in time where you need to bend your knee because you don't have any other movement option. Right. And if you've never prepared for that, then you might be in trouble. And then you go into the actual injury mechanism. So it's funny you bring that one up. Yeah. That's where the, you brought up the one where I'm like, no, I think I'm with you here. This is like the exception to, to where I'm like, oh, this is a case where I think biomechanics matters. And, hey. and it fits with my, uh, my fundamental of like movement preparation is important. But because if you're never going into that, you actually haven't prepared to be into that movement. So it's, mm. it's not too jarring for me to say that uh, that that that's a case where biomechanics is important, maybe sometimes. Yeah. So okay. if you, that's, that's really interesting to, that what I'm really trying to dive in here isn't so much the answers or what you should remember and what you should do. It's more the thought process. It's just so starting off with the idea that, okay, let, let's start off with a null hypothesis here. Kinematics don't matter. When do yeah. they matter? When could we be wrong yeah. about that? And and then building it up from there. So, And then what's the rule? Is there a principle in there? Mm. Is there a principle that underlies it? Right? That's what you all, always want to figure out. And then how, how, how does that principle apply like to mm. other areas or when does it? Because everyone wants to say, oh, it depends. And I'm like, anytime someone says it depends, give me the context of when it depends. Give me four cases. That's kind of hard, but at least one mm. <laughs> of when it depends. I've got one. I don't know if it's a case that we're talking about, but it just it really made me think there about last weekend. I don't normally share all my weekend pursuits and everything I'm doing. I don't get on Twitter and, and Instagram and everything and share this stuff, but I did a marathon in the mountains near Melbourne and nice. it was very, it was very beautiful. Um, a 5k marathon or a real yeah, marathon? That's right. A 5k 42. Have you heard people say that? I did <laughs> yeah. a 5k marathon. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry. How long, how many kilometers? How many miles is, was your marathon? Yeah. And it was beautiful, okay. but it was beautiful. It went up a thousand meters and oh. down 500, up 500 and down again. It was Maroondah Dam, Trails Plus, the local guys here did it and shout out to them. And they're, they're just great people. And yeah, it was it was really hard. And I was yeah. coming down the real steep part. I was 32 KZ and very steep. And yeah, I, I wasn't thinking a lot about my knee flexion. Um, and there was less of it than there was at the start on the first descent through the first 500 meters. And yeah, so maybe, you know, if we you could go both ways, okay, it doesn't matter or does it is that what there's that one time when i'm not conditioned well enough because i wasn't conditioned as well as i'd like to be for this race i've been faster and fitter on that course before and i've used more knee flexion 
and I've had stronger quads and eccentrically, and I've, I've done all the work in the gym and I've had a noticeable difference. But is there that one time when I step on a rock and you know, twist something and, and hurt something when a bit of knee flexion would have been beneficial? Yeah. It's an interesting way to look at it because you can sort of, you can confirm your own biases by doing the right thing or the wrong thing. And if you're not actually reflecting on any of it, you can end up just having a strong belief about something. Yeah, for, for, for sure. I mean, like we do it with Valgus. That's what I've questioned for years. How can tell, we tell, see these tell, people? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, more like, or stretching, you can, you can just look at athletes or people who, if someone jumps really high, like off of two feet, they're yeah. going into a lot of knee valgus. They'll have a high knee abduction moment for sure. Yeah. And we have to say, how is that person safe? How can they do that thousands of times? Why are we vilifying this movement pattern? Right. So, so what's going on there? How can we explain some of the data that, that we have? Right. And that's sort of the idea. I, I think it's inherently, I think it's stable. I think ju just because a knee moves a lot into knee abduction, that doesn't make it inherently un unstable. It just means it's moving a lot. Unstable would, would means it goes into that pattern and it moves more than you want it to move and it doesn't come back. That's what instability is. Mm. Right. And so like, when I look at stuff like that, I, people will say, well, how do you reconcile it when someone tears their ACL and it is associated with the knee valgus pattern? And I would say, well, it's not the same knee valgus pattern. It's actually different what they, than what they've done 10,000 times. So then the next question is, why was it different? And this is where you can like bring in the research of like Dustin Grooms, uh, uh, Gooms, Grooms, Gooms, Dustin, do you know? Grooms, Dustin? Think, yep. Yep. Yeah, thanks. I got a yep. little brain freeze there. Jason Avedasian, um, convention maze. All they're like the the brain motor control people, where it's like these cognitive distractions, mm. right, lead to corruption in your motor control. So, like, so, so if you want to make a robust, stable knee, I don't think it's about changing how you move. It's about about making the pattern that you regularly do as stable as possible under as many different conditions as possible. And then that fits with like the FIFA 11 yes. and all the training people do. And then the brain training and the cognitive distraction while you're doing those exercises now, because now you see people's movement patterns don't change, but they're stable or they're more stable. They're more robust with the, mm. with the proper word. I don't know and if that makes sense. That's, no, that's, that's how good. I would reconcile all that, all that amazing research where it's so conflicting. Yeah. You know? And then to, so Monday morning in the clinic for the practitioners listening, they can, um, they've, if once they've reconciled that, they can apply it by thinking, well, I can't just be doing simple things in a predictable way. That's where we add in distractions and gameplay yeah. and make things more specific to what people are doing. And yeah. um, so back to those mechanisms there, you've got, you've got some rationale for what you're doing, but there's enormous complexity in the research and in people and all around. I do feel for, um, the younger clinicians, I remember just, I just didn't know enough to be confused when I was <laughs> younger. There just, there really wasn't courses. There were courses you paid for, but there wasn't online courses and social media and finished in 2001 for my undergrad. So I was in, in that period where things were building up and they've got so much available to them, but potentially so many disagreeing voices and sources of confusion yeah. as well. So it's where it's yeah. nice to have a conversation about it and hopefully help people to find their principles that work for them. Like you said earlier. Mm. 
Yeah, like so uh, the principle there is I believe in movement preparation. And so I, I start with that. I think that's important. Um, and then I would want to work with people who would challenge that, like what's the best way to do it? So you hear me online argue with like, not really, but debate with Seth O'Neill. I'll, I'll say things with Pete Malieris and we'll debate like the, they might say, I got to do um, calf raises and soleus raises to prepare the Achilles for running. And, and because running has five to seven times body weight. So you need to do these heavy exercises. And then what I want to say is like, why can't I just run? <laughs> right. If running is so demanding and it's five to seven times body weight, why can't I just take the sad principle and say running is the best way to prepare your Achilles to run? <laughs> I'm not the I'm not the right person to talk to about this because I'm I'm, la I'm a lazy runner who goes out and runs. So, but yeah, yeah, inter well, interesting. You might be, you might be like so. So, I, but to be honest, when I'm in practice, I'm I believe in belts and suspenders. I'm going to advocate both. Like, do your boring old calf raises, do your hip stuff, all those things and do a smart running program but but to keep me intellectually curious and i i want to debate could we just run could i use running only like running as rehab as the only intervention and i oh, i love i love that debate so that's the debate of what's the best way to prepare yourself yeah you know to, that, to do that's these back to your safely. options bef from before having options because right. there are people who won't probably don't want to or can't or won't <laughs> no. do these exercises as well, but they will run as well. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> so we got you've got an option there for that person if that's if you're open to that the possibility as well. I think we I mean the most yeah. important thing is that we keep our minds open and we let each other ask questions and we talk and and think and challenge our beliefs and and dogmas and move forward together. Some some of the arguments and things you see online can become quite polarizing, but if you're if you're coming at it from the right angle, it can be so enriching for your practice as well, just to see people debating and, and talking about things. So it's really good. Yeah, the, there's a name for that. Uh, <laughs> it's on my Twitter. It's not it's not debate. It's dialectic. That's it. It's dialectic. where two people go in. Yeah, where you're going into it. You're not trying to win an argument. Right. You're trying to both go forward, challenge one another, challenge yourself, and and come out the other side like a little bit better, searching for quote unquote truth. So you had a dialectic experience on Twitter last week. If people follow you, um, is it at Greg Lehman on Twitter? Yeah. yeah. Um, they can look, they can find you easily. And it was about good old Soleus versus gastroc, seated versus <laughs> straight knee training or, or, or strength testing. And um, back and forward with Seth O'Neill and a few others on there. That That's an example of that where it seemed to me that you were, you just kept going with questioning, but they were, we were all related to the data and the paper. And there's a lot of lurkers on, like myself mainly, I, I post some things, but we lurk away here on and listen to those debates and you learn a lot. It's fascinating. I have never thought about asking it in that way. And that's what you get from a conference as well. And yeah. the conferences traditionally were um, expensive, you travel for them and for the young or less experienced clinicians listening to this, you can get involved with this stuff, get on there and ask questions as well. Oh, for sure. Learn so much. Yeah. Um, that's our on Twitter's our online conference. I do feel like I'm fatiguing people. Like it's <laughs> tired of it. But they can always <laughs> mute. That's fine. Hey, I think, Oh, I know. I know I'm on speed dial mute. Yeah. A few people. It's, uh, <laughs> 
So look, look final final question, I guess, to, to sum it up is your course is reconciling pain science and biomechanics. Is that the the correct wording? The other way. Yeah, I reckon biomechanics with it doesn't matter. And that's your thing. yeah, that's your website as well. Movement optimism is your YouTube oh, movement channel. Movement optimism is my clinic. That's my clinic. Is, is your clinic, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think movement optimism is just my catchphrase for like my rebuke of the kinesiopathological model. Just needed a, a phrase, so that's I just made that up. Right, right. So this, this is the this is where we can end it because you're you're not a biomechanist. You're not someone who's been in a laboratory. Um, just doing biomechanics for your whole career, so uh, you're, you're working with patients. Not my whole career, a few years. You've, yeah. You have done some of it though. So we've I had did a, a master's in yeah. biomechanics. Mm. So you, you've got that. You do have formal training there, um, but you also work as a clinician, and and you've 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 got the pain science background as well. So how do the students and early career professionals? How do they reconcile biomechanics with pain science? Apart from going to your course. Sounds like I'm getting paid by you to plug your course, but no. Um, I suck at that. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, I mean, I mean, what are some tips that for for them to come to a you know to come on the pathway with you towards um, not being stuck in one camp or the other, but putting all of this together? It, it, to me, it's you find common threads. Find clinicians who are very popular who publish, and try to figure out what is like see their differences, of course but then turn a blind eye to them and figure out what the similarities is. That's, that's right. where I think you'll find like the, the, the good stuff. Right. And that, that's what we try to do in the course. It's like, um, I think the body matters and I think that the brain matters and I think our emotions and our, our whole health ecosystem uh, matters. And then that was my goal was to help figure out a, a path for people. Right. Cause I, so Shirley Sturman would be a famous, you know, biomechanical approach. Yeah. Right. Very much postural, structural model. And I've taken her course and I've read her books and I tried to really buy into that decades ago. And I couldn't. It just didn't resonate with me. But I'm like, there's still utility in here. Right. What's good about it? And when I look at her research, like with Linda Van Dillen and uh Bolden, Balden, her name is. I look at the programming and I'm like, these are awesome exercise programs. They're super comprehensive. They build people up to do the things that they love again. And then they do a symptom modification approach where they teach people to move differently, but keep moving and keep doing the things you love. And I'm like, shit, there, there's rehab right there. There's the fundamentals. And that's all I see. So I'll go online like Squat University. People think that I should dislike that guy because he's sort of like, a McGill disciple and very different from me. And I'm like, no, Aaron's stuff is totally fine. I, I disagree with the philosophy and the underpinning, but how, what he's doing to help people, I'm like, oh, this works for me. You, you, you change how they do the squat so they feel better and then build them up to do more of it. Great. I love it. Yeah. I don't have to talk about discs exploding or shit like that. I can right. like, so, you know what I mean? I'll, but those are the little the jam things. Donut. Poke, yeah, I'll hear, I'm gonna, exactly. I'm going to hear what I want to hear. To be. And it's really easy just to get cranked up and hear the things, the other things that you don't want to hear, but you yeah. just focus on them. And so I'm trying to focus on the things that I want to hear. And then that's what I'm going to sell. Mm. The similarities and the patterns in what people are saying, what's working for them, which is no different. It's really analogous to what you said about the clinician there in the clinic. And if someone really likes the the dumbbells, someone really likes the kettlebells, someone yeah. likes the, you know, 
the bar, whatever we're doing, or, or a manual therapy approach, and it w- works for them. Um, so you, again, you're looking for those patterns and similarities. That's exactly. a really, I mean, I, I found that really valuable because I can, I can get on there and I can ask you some questions, or we could talk all about one topic. Um, but it was the thinking that was going on behind the content you're posting and the courses you're doing and the the, the, uh, the things you're saying that I was really interested in. So I'm sure it will be of interest to others as well. So I hope everyone else has enjoyed the conversation as much as I have. So thanks very much, Greg. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So um, everyone, thanks for joining us in this conversation. Um, share the episode. Help me out because podcasts just sit there and you don't know they exist. So share it with a friend, um, pop it up on your social media. You can tag me in at Periton Physio, which is Susanna and I, or at Luke Periton. And I'm mostly on LinkedIn and Twitter. And of course, you can find Greg with a quick Google search, but I'll put all of his um, various social media and his courses that I've mentioned and everything in the show notes. So you can look them up, not when you're running and not when you're driving, but you can dive into the show notes and have a look at those. So once again, Greg, really appreciate the chat. Love to do it again in the future and hope to see you in person one of these days. Yeah, I'm in Melbourne in September. We'll grab awesome. a pint. That'd be yeah. good. Fantastic. Uh, I just forgot. I totally forgot. I am in Melbourne. I'm in Melbourne in Brisbane. Is yeah. that a course that you're yeah, teaching? Yeah. yeah, coming back for the, the course. Oh, right. biomechanics one. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. There you go. Because I, I was just in Australia and there we had a nice turnout. I was like, I will totally come back. People are like, come Beautiful. to Melbourne. I'm like, done. I'll go to Melbourne. <laughs> Beautiful. There you go, everyone. You heard it. You might, I don't know if you heard it here first. You probably heard it somewhere else first. But if you enjoyed that, there's more. You can come see Greg live and his course in Melbourne and Brisbane, September. So good stuff. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Greg. And until next time, this is Greg and Luke wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning.